Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode, episode 13. Uh, I'm Josh Shelton with my friend, Ryan Ray. Ryan, what's up, man? How's it going? Doing good, man. Doing good. I, um... You know, I actually, it's a weird week because we're having on Sergio Chapa and David Blackman, and I actually went down to San Antonio for other business and had dinner with Sergio, and the next day, I had lunch with David, so it's kind of a weird week that I've, you know, I've, I've traveled a lot, and then both people that are coming on the show, I've happened to meet with for other reasons, so uh, been busy, but been good. Yeah, I'm excited this week. It'll be, uh, we'll have two guests on today, uh, so should cover a, a good bit of stuff. Great insights for our listeners. Absolutely. Uh, well, before we uh, before we jump into some articles, Ryan, we normally go over a couple of a jo- a job opportunities that have been posted at globalenergymedia.com slash jobs. Uh, checked earlier this morning, and there were 18 jobs posted. Ryan, uh, I see the civil engineer uh, at R-Square Global is, uh, is finally up there. So uh, a- any luck with that job yet? Why you got to say finally and call me out like that? I mean, why you got <laughs> well, to call me out like that in front of everybody, man? Yeah, it, it just felt like it just kept getting postponed and postponed. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, it's up. Okay, so it's up. Um, no, we haven't filled the position. And um, actually, my guys in Foley, Alabama, called me the other day. And they're like, "Hey, we really need to talk about uh, getting someone in here for this." So. We are definitely looking for a civil engineer for our Foley, Alabama office. All right, special guest today, David Blackman, is joining us. David, how's it going, man? Really good, really good. It's a beautiful day in Mansfield, Texas. Yes, it is. It's uh, it's been a little hot last few last few days, hasn't it? Oh my goodness, yeah. But the good news is my swimming pool is finally warming up. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Well, David, <laughs> we're going to be uh, discussing some of the uh, some some information regarding the OPEC, some cuts that they're hoping uh, uh, we're hoping that they'll make. In the article, they're projecting that we're going to see oil prices start to actually come down because of the supply. Um, it, it seems to be stockpiling and, and building, and uh, so prices look like they're projected to drop even further this year. Uh, yeah. Any take, any takeaways uh, you want to share with us from the article? Yeah, no, no, I think, and I think that's that view is probably correct, um, at least temporarily for the next couple of months through the summer months, probably. Um, but but what's going to happen is these inventory. What's killing the market right now is is as much uh, uh, psychological as anything else. These these big inventory reports uh, in gasoline and crude stocks have really spooked the market and that's why the the main reason why the the prices dropped from 50 down to 44 this week but but you know opec is is uh, the saudis anyway or have already begun cutting back their exports to the u.s and what their hope is that's going to create some some better inventory some big inventory draws over the next few weeks and restore some of that confidence in the market but yeah i think we're going to see the price go down to 40 um probably and maybe even a little below that here in the coming weeks mm. but i do think uh, by the end of the year it's going to be back up close to 50 uh, i okay. even saw one one guy predicting last week it'd be up to 70 but i don't believe that so two questions really there david um the first one is if, if, the, if the prices drop um let's just say by mid-july or early august they're kind of in this high 30 range maybe a little sooner what does that do for producers for the rest of the year in Texas? And then the follow-up to that is, 
If it rebounds, when does it have to rebound so that the 2018 budget will be in place and that work kind of continue through 2018? Well, that's, that's the thing is we're going to be in the exact same cycle for the second half of this year that we were in the second half of last year because the, the price is going to drop. All these companies that are drilling all these wells are going to begin cutting back on their drilling for the rest of this year. The rig count will stabilize or maybe even go down a little bit over the rest of the year. And, and that's going to mean that U.S. production is going to stop rising so rapidly. Okay. And all that, plus rising demand from India and China and elsewhere, is going to eat up this surplus. Price is going to go back up at the end of the year, and you're going to see next year. I mean, this is just my prediction, but you're going to see the exact same happen at the first of next year. All these companies are going to put into place very healthy drilling budgets for 2018 and start ramping up the rig count again in the United States. And we're going to be in this cycle year after year after year for the foreseeable future because there is just so much oil uh, in the world because we can produce it from these shale plays now. And, you know, the Permian Basin, we're just getting started producing the shale oil in the Permian Basin. So this is going to be, we're going to be in a 50 to, you know, a 40 to $60 price scenario for the foreseeable future, kind of an intractable deal like we've been in with natural gas because we have so much gas uh, and we've been in this intractable, low-price paradigm for six years now, natural gas. So uh, I wish I had a more optimistic view than that, but I, but I really don't. And uh, I just think that's where the situation is. Well, David, one of the things uh, me and Ron discuss a lot is what we need uh, is just some stability so people can start making some long-term plans, develop right. budgets, and uh, – you know, just we don't want it fluctuating from 35 to 60, back down to 40. Um, just really, if it would stabilize, I think it would. I think it would uh, give people enough confidence to, I guess, develop some long-term plays that they won't have to keep laying people off at this time. Yeah. Of the year. Well, yeah, uh, David, that would be nice if we if we could get to that situation, but it just uh, it doesn't seem to be in the cards. Hey, yeah. one, one quick follow-up on that, David. So for our listeners um, that are in the Texas business, and they're going, oh, my goodness gracious, we might be facing you know high 30s by the end of the year. Um, in, your, in your opinion, if, if you're in the oil and, oil and gas industry right now, what, what stream is the, most, is, is the safest to be in, upstream, midstream, downstream? Where would you try to position yourself to kind of ride these roller coasters out over the next uh, three to five years? Well, I wish I knew. You know, I mean, the roller coasters just go through segment by segment. Uh, you know, the refiners were, were making money hand over fist until mid-year last year, and and then the market, uh, you know, the crude price started ramping up, and, and then the upstream companies were making money. And, you know, it just goes from, from segment to segment. I, I don't know that there is a, any, of course, you know, I mean, in this industry, nothing's ever safe. Right, right. right. So I, I just don't know that one segment is any is any safer than the other. Well, well, David, uh, moving on, we have some uh, some news that just broke, I believe, yesterday that agencies uh, slow methane rules oppo- opposed by oil gas industry. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, truck, the Obama had some regulations that were aimed at restricting some harmful methane emissions, and the Trump administration is delaying those those rules and regulations being applied to the oil and gas production. Um, seems seems to be overall a good thing. What did you think about uh, about Trump's move here? Well, it's you know it's a positive development for the industry. Um, the the EPA methane 
rules. Um, you know, the industry, by and large, companies have already really come into compliance with that one, uh, by and large, and, and they've adopted their practices and technologies to, to get themselves pretty much in compliance with it. So it wasn't going to be a big, nasty meth and mess in terms of complying with it, other than the paperwork requirements, which are just crazy, crazy costly, uh, unbelievably onerous and costly. And uh, that's the big concern from the industry. If the EPA would, during the next two years, if they'll, you know, amend the paperwork requirements to make that rule a little more reasonable, uh, it'd be a lot less of a problem uh, for the industry. But in terms of the emissions, uh, most companies are already there on that one. Uh, the, the interior rule, uh, it's the bending and flaring rule, basically, which is just uh, completely unnecessary regulation because it just duplicates uh, most of the state regulations that are already in place. Um, that one was going to be repealed by the Congressional Review Act, but John McCain, for still unexplained reasons, uh, decided to vote against the Congressional Review Act resolution and has never told anybody why he did it. Frankly, I think he may have done it by accident, uh, just didn't realize which way to vote. But, <laughs> but anyway, you know, so they're delaying that and they're going to rewrite that one and uh, try to make it less harmful to the industry. Because again, with that one, uh, the emissions requirements aren't the problem, it's the paperwork requirements. And it just, you know, uh, the Obama administration was just basically with those two regulations trying to harm the industry. So, so it's a real positive development. So, so what you're saying, David, if I'm hearing you right, is is that the that the uh, oil and gas industry is okay with with the regulation in a sense. It's just that the government comes in and this overdoes it and overcomplicates the process to where it's yeah. more of a headache than than the actually fixing the emission problem was. Exactly, you know, and it's unnecessary. They they, you know, so much of what they're requiring is just just a a bullying, particularly with EPA. Um, EPA just loves to bully the oil and gas industry. Or, did during the Obama administration with just ridiculous paperwork requirements and document production requests. And uh, so that's one one real positive development in this administration is those kinds of things are, are going to come to an end. And hey, one quick follow-up on that, David. You know, one of the things that I think that uh, a lot of people, now our listeners who are in the oil and gas business, they, they probably realize this, but when we think oil and gas, we always, uh, we always hear, at least from the, the mainstream media, Exxon, Shell, Chevron, you know, who these big names, but uh, this this affects producers who are relatively small as well, I would imagine, and their budgets yeah. aren't what Exxon's is. No, and, and in fact, the small producers, like up in the Bakken on that EPA regulation, or in the Eagle Ford or the West Texas, you know, they're having to hire very expensive consulting firms to, to do this work for them because they don't have people, on, most of them don't have people on staff to, to be able to, to meet the, the paperwork requirements uh, under the, the particularly the EPA rule, and it's a very onerous burden on those companies for uh, almost no benefit, by the way, to the environment. The the amount of methane contribution to overall U.S. emissions from the upstream segment of the oil and gas industry, which is what those two rules target, is basically a trace element. I mean, it it almost doesn't even show up on the chart. Uh, less than 2%. But the EPA, you know, to, just to show you the real true intention of those regulations, the EPA spent millions and millions of dollars in staff hours to, to get those, those, that, that rule into place and, and other methane-related regulations on the industry. When they should have been focused, you know, I mean, goats, 
goat emissions from burping and <laughs> and and farting mm-hmm. is is a much bigger methane problem than the upstream segment of the oil and gas engine. <laughs> but that's that's a true story. I mean, it's much bigger problem. Well, you, you know, you gotta be careful what you say. So, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, we don't care, but you you know how it goes. <laughs> no one wants to hear about the poor goats. It's always about the big bad oil and gas companies. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not trying to to attack the ag industry. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. I know. It's just fu- it's just funny how uh, much propaganda is yeah. out there. And you're always trying to sift through it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving uh, moving over to solar power, this has been an interesting topic over uh, over the last year or so. Uh, Paco, Pecos County is they, they have I think five forms of solar panels. Uh, seems to be bringing in quite a few jobs. I believe they have a couple hundred million dollars of tax tax dollars are being brought to the county. Uh, I have some information here that OCI Solar Power is building a 110 megawatt Alamo Six solar farm. Yeah. Uh, um, and that's supposed to power San Antonio. So this is pretty interesting stuff here. Um, what, what do we see kind of the future of this? Do you think this is going to get bigger, smaller, or uh, what, well, what is your take on it? I think it's going to get bigger, and I think you're going to see, you know, that, that article talks about solar replacing coal, but, you know, solar is really going to start displacing wind because those big wind towers are a big, big problem. Uh, the wind industry is the second biggest killer of birds and bats on the face of the earth. Uh, second only to power lines, and and they kill millions of birds every year. And and so these these solar farms, as they become more and more economic, you're going to see less and less wind power get built, uh, particularly when the tax subsidies for the wind industry start to go away here in a couple of years. Uh, and you know, solar is also a heavily subsidized industry, but but it's becoming more competitive, faster than wind. And so I, I do think you're just going to see more and more solar installations in Texas. West Texas is obviously like a mecca for solar power. Right. Uh, and, and so I think that's good, and it's a good thing for the environment, and, and it's a good thing for those local economies. Yeah, no, solar is definitely um, – it's one of those technologies that I think, you know, the more I've kind of looked in, into it over the past year, I've interviewed some people on my other podcast, and it's, it's kind of one of those things where for so long you heard about wind and you heard about solar and you heard about their failures, um, but solar really in the past, it's it's really recent. The last year to two years has really kind of caught, caught it, got its sea legs, if you will, and yeah. is actually kind of doing something now. Yeah, and and, and it's that's happening because these utility companies, you know, like in San Antonio and Austin and, and, and power pro- providers all over the country, are, are beginning to see the real issues with these wind farms. It's, it's not just birds and bats. It's retiring them. People don't understand. There's no regulations in Texas, or I think Wyoming may finally have some regulations, about a re, any requirement to, to retire those 420-foot-tall wind turbines with 150-foot-long blades. When, when they end their useful life, there's no regulations govern, requiring them to be taken down and moved off that site. So unless we, we do get some regulations related to that, those big, giant, skyscraping wind turbines are just going to sit there and rot into perpetuity. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's a real future problem, uh, you know, for this state and, and any other state that has a, you know, a big collection of wind farms because it's just, I mean, they're basically unregulated at this point. So we really need... The state government had better start figuring out a way. You know, the oil and gas industry has all sorts of requirements to plug and abandon wells when they outlive their useful life, right? 
exactly. and, and every other kind of, of power generator does too. But those, for some reason, wind has been sacrosanct from that kind of regulation. It's going to be a real future problem for this state. Well, well David, we uh, thanks for coming on today. We've enjoyed it. And before we let you get out of here, we, we want to tease that me and you are in talks of maybe doing a, another oil and gas podcast that's going to be more um, broader than the scope of this podcast. And so look forward to talking to you about that. And hopefully maybe in the next, what, two, three weeks we can have that up and running? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Ready to go. Okay. Well, well thanks again for coming on, and we will uh, be talking soon. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, David. Well, David, thanks again for coming on. We really enjoyed having you today. Uh, great, great information you shared with us, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on pretty soon. Well, special guest again joining this week, Sergio. Uh, he's, he's joining us to talk a little bit about the Howard Energy Partners deal in the Permian Basin. How's it going, Sergio? Uh, it's going great. Always always a pleasure to be on. Well, uh, you know, the and- you, you released an article earlier, I believe this week, uh, just a few days ago, about a pretty big deal Um uh, Partners with WPX Energy and Howard Energy Partners uh, kind of making a, a Permian Basin play. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, Howard Energy Partners are based here in San Antonio, and uh, they've done a real good job, I'd say, in, in the Eagleford Shale, Corpus Christi, Brownsville, Port Arthur, and, and even in the Marcellus Shale of Pennsylvania. But, you know, uh, for a long time, they've been eyeing the Permian. In fact, I had a chat with, with um, Howard Energy Partners CEO Mike Howard back in April, and and he hinted at this even back then. Um, and, you know, I think it even came, came out in the story that they are actively looking and seeking opportunities in the Permian Basin. And, and you know, that makes a lot of sense. It's the hottest shell play in, in the United States. They've got several stacked basins, uh, low service prices, you know, I mean, possibly more oil than even Saudi Arabia. So, so you know, I mean, pro- looking for projects in that, that area of the state make, make a lot of sense. And finally, you know, I mean, not even barely, not less than less than three months or less than two months later after we talked, here's Howard Energy Partners announcing this big deal, and it, it is, it's a huge deal. It's like a 563 million dollar deal. It's a joint venture between Howard Energy Partners and uh, and uh, and WPX Energy. Um, now, so WPX, they've got a lot of assets in the in the Permian, and and they're in the midstream game for sure. Um, but, you know, uh, they, they're really active in what they call the uh, state line area. So that's the, the state line between New Mexico and Texas. So we're talking like, you know, like, like Reeves County and in, in West Texas. And then I think Lee and Carlsberg counties in New Mexico. So it, um, it makes a lot of sense. They're, what they're trying to do is develop, you know, crude oil pipeline assets and then also a natural gas cryogenic plant. And um, you know other other assets that'll be that'll be operated by Howard Energy Partners, and and, it, and it's a real logical choice for WPX because you know Howard Energy Partners has a has a massive natural gas cryogenic plant in um, uh, just near Laredo, so so it was a good choice and a good partnership, you know, and it should all be starting to roll out later this year. So Howard Energy Partners is a name I've heard a lot. WPX I've heard a little bit about, but not 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 as much as I have Howard Energy Partners. Why was WPX a good partner, and can you tell us a little bit more about them? Right. So like like I said, they're in the midstream game, and and they're uh, they're very active in the in in the Permian as well. And um, I'm not sure as to the exact number of uh, of miles of pipeline they have in in the um, in the um, in the Permian, but you know, I, I can look that up later on down the road. Um, but the thing is, is like, 
I know that the WPEG is a publicly traded company, and, right. and that you know Howard Energy Partners is a is a is a privately held company. So, um, so yeah, there. I'd say that I'd say WPEG is pretty a significant player in the region. Yeah, you know these midstream companies they 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 come from different groups and stuff. It's always kind of hard to track who's coming from where, and so I didn't know uh, WPX. I've heard of them um, um, from time to time, but I just haven't I come across them much. And so um, when I saw this this report, I was kind of interested because you know Howard Energy Partners is just, you know as a, a recognizable name, but WPX I just haven't haven't heard as much about. So I wasn't really sure if they came you know were a spinoff from somewhere or a merger from a couple other companies a while back, or didn't really know where they came about. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, the Howard Energy is definitely a, a rising star, a rising company. Um, you know, they, they've, they've, they're, their CEO, and their CEO is a, is a former um, a VP with uh, Energy Transfer Partners. So it's, it's a heavyweight presence there already. And, and uh, they've, they've, they're doing these cross-border projects, moving natural gas and refined products from, from South Texas to Northern Mexico to Monterey. So, I mean, I think it's a, it'll be a really good partnership for both companies. I was looking at uh, WPX Energy. They reported that they're going to get $300 million from Howard Energy Partners uh, up front, and then uh, supposed right. suppose that's going to fund the first $263 million. Um, so basically, Howard Energy Partners is just coming in as a financial, and WPX, it seems, is going to be, I guess, building and, and carrying out all the work. No, I, from what I understood, and I, I can go back to my notes, but from what I understood, I think that, that Howard Energy was going to going to finish the construction see what had happened is that wpx had started construction howard's going to finish it and then they're going to operate it they'll do uh, they'll see. handle all the uh, all the the what do you call it all the the leasing and transmission and everything like that yeah okay well sergio we know we're running short on time give us a quick update on the drilling permit roundup that you release every monday uh what, what did we miss this past week Right. So this Monday, it was a it was a pretty exciting story. It was um, it was a, it was kind of a, a deeper look at at, uh, at 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 you know the different uh, the, the the geology of South Texas and and there's a company here, very successful ENP company named Blackbrush Oil and Gas. And uh, this week, what caught my interest um, was that they had filed six drilling permits, and that's that's nothing out of the ordinary for them. But what was out of the ordinary is that they're all targeting the San Miguel field. And so the San Miguel, you know, it's a geological layer just resting, you know, right above the, there's, you got the Eagleford and then higher up, you got the Austin Chalk and right above that, you've got the San Miguel. So it's like a sandstone formation, you know, whereas like, you know, the Eagleford is, or I'm sorry, the Austin Chalk's like limestone and hydrocarbon rich. This is a, this is a hydrocarbon rich uh, uh, sandstone layer, the San Miguel. And so all six of these wells, which are in Dimmick County target the, the San Miguel. And so that, you know, I mean, it's a, the the total depth of the wells is much lower than what, what than what it would be for an Austin Chalk well or a uh, or a uh, Eagleford well, so uh, the company is is making a play on that. And then I did some further research and looked. At the co- this is not the first time the company's you know done this. Uh, they've they've actually had like more than a hundred San Miguel wells, you know, uh, over their over the lifetime of the company. So it's something that they seem to be good at and something they're tapping into again. Uh, most of the time, you know, the all these Eagleford wells and Austin Chalk wells get all the attention, but but there are plenty of other you know geological layers with oil in South Texas, and this is you know just another example. Right, right. Well, I know we're out of time, but can you give us our Cabot oil and gas update that we that you promised us? 
Boy, I'll have to get smart on that. I'll have to owe you that. <laughs> <laughs> no time. All right, Sergio. Thanks for coming on, man. All right. Thank you, man. Thanks, Sergio. Bye. All right. Finishing things up today, uh, we usually take a look at the Baker Hughes rig count. Uh, checked it uh, a couple hours ago. The U.S. is up to 927. That's up 11 from last week. The Permian is at 368, which is, I believe, uh, maybe up one from where it was last week. The Eagleford is up to 84, so it took a pretty good jump this week. Texas is at 460. Uh, so I think, uh, looking at the rig count, I think the Eagleford is really where it's popping right now as far as uh, rig, new rig permits and uh, and that. Ryan, anything you want to finish up with that today? API, YP, conferences, any news? Uh, you know, I haven't heard much from the API, YP. Group. P, uh, group lately. I need to get back on there and check, make sure I hadn't missed an event. But um, no, I don't think there's anything going on there right now. Of course, you can go check them out at APIYP. Uh, I think it's api-yp.org. Uh, a couple things, Josh, though. Yeah, today is Friday, June 16th, and this weekend's Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to you. You're a great dad to your kids, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are listening. And obviously, this is coming out Monday, so it will be um, past the Father's Day. So hope you had a great Father's Day weekend. And as David and I mentioned, you know, we're going to have a podcast that's going to be oil and gas related coming out here soon, hopefully the next couple of weeks. And so we will let you know more information as that becomes available to um, to us. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. Let us know. We've had on a few guests now. Try to mix it up, bring on more expertise for the show for you listeners. Our downloads are very good, and so we're very excited about that. But we'd love to hear more feedback, globalenergymedia.com slash contact, or you can get me on Twitter, at Ryan Ray Sr. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep climbing.